Before the season began, I made a note to keep track of OU's success or lack of success on third and long. Last year, the Sooners were really bad on third and long, third and seven plus to be exact. OU was 16 of 85 in those situations, which comes out to about 19%. When OU's offense was in third and six or less, the Sooners converted 57% of the time. Overall, OU was successful 40.5% on third down last season, which ranked 49th in the nation. Not terrible, but not elite either. Well, through four games in 2023, the Sooners have made an incredible improvement. OU is one of the best teams in college football on third down, on both offense and defense. We'll stick with offense first. We'll check back on that third and long statistic, that third and seven plus stat. Well, so far this year, the Sooners are 11 of 24 in those situations, which is just short of 46%. Got to remind you that last season, OU was at about 19%. And on third and medium to short in 2023, the Sooners are converting 66% into either first downs or touchdowns. That's up from 57% a season ago. Overall, Oklahoma was ranked fourth in college football in third down success rate. 58% of the time, the Sooners convert on third down. That's outstanding. And by the way, Kansas is number one at 60%. Meanwhile, Oklahoma's defense has been getting off the field itself. The Sooners ranked 13th in the nation in opponent third down success rate. And last Saturday, Cincinnati was 0 of 5 on third down and medium to short. That's awesome. So kudos to Brent Venables, Jeff Lebby, and of course, the players for improving one of the most important statistics in football and improving it drastically. Now we'll see if Oklahoma can keep it up for the rest of the season. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Jones looking, throws sideline, into double coverage on, it is intercepted. Key Lawrence tracks it down. Key Lawrence welcomes us into another edition of West of Everest. I saw that PFF rated him as the highest graded safety in week four. So congratulations are in order for Key. To be honest, I think PFF College is subpar to be, to be uh, I guess, generous to PFF College. But when they're saying nice things about Oklahoma and giving Oklahoma good grades, then I suppose we will take it. Lee Benson here, joined as always by Grant Benson. And Grant, I was watching back the game from last week, and I saw that during that play where Key picked it off in the, I believe, second quarter, even if he wasn't even there, if Key had been on the other side of the field and not even been over the top and Woody Washington was all by himself, I think that Woody still picks off Emory Jones because the coverage by him was incredibly good on that play, and it was just a great defensive play all, all the way around. Yay. Hooray for Woody. And Key, I suppose. Thanks. Although I, I I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if, if Woody would have picked that off. I'm not sure if he would have gotten his head around and made a play on that ball. But I mean it was good coverage. That 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 pass was not being completed regardless of who was over the top or, or who wasn't. So uh good. I mean good he already had his around. head turned around. If if Key wasn't there, it was it was gonna fall right into his breadbasket. So the only question would have been if, if would he've had enough enough ability to catch it. Because he was already like he already had position on it, um, and I, you know I also I love too. This is kind of a small thing, but you watch it back. I love that 
when Woody saw Key come over the top and saw Key made the play. Woody just I love how Woody celebrated it because like he made a great play, you know, doing his job, but then Key finished it. And just something simple like that. I know like everybody would on the team would probably do the same thing, but just stuff like that's kind of like yes, you're celebrating your teammates. Guy made a great play, getting off the field in the red zone. Just something small like that got me going. Uh, it's just a lot different and a lot better than when you see uh, a quarterback overthrow a receiver and the DB has nothing to do with it, and then the DB decides that they want to dance and act like they made some sort of incredible play on it when they didn't do anything. That's basically the exact opposite of it, and I like to see that. Man, a huge improvement last year for when they made good defensive plays. They they just quietly walked back to the sideline. It's crazy. Just like just <laughs> all of just all the positive stuff that's going on right now. Yeah, are we all uh, falling into a trap? Because, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, my guard is not as as uh, up as much as it was four weeks ago. But I think we'd be fools to just totally give in and think this team is like a playoff contender right now. There's only been four games, so still gonna. Take oh, it I mean, easy. I don't. I, I guess I don't. Did it not come off that I was being very facetious? That last thing that I just said. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. But I, yeah, okay, never mind. Forget it. I don't know. I'm just I'm 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 giving you crap because you're just like, oh man, it fired me up that they were celebrating with their teammates after they made a good play. Yeah. Yeah, they like each other. Uh maybe it's just because uh again, I've mentioned before on this podcast that uh I'm cursed because I like the Chicago Bears and they're an absolute trash slash dumpster fire right now and they seem like they don't like each other very much. So thank goodness Oklahoma's playing good football right now. If that changes then it's gonna be a tough football season for old Lee over here. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but it's like, but it's the NFL, and who cares? It's I, I do. I like the NFL quite a bit. I think the NFL. Well, I great. mean, but but my point is, the NFL, you can change things around in one off season. So, like, what's happening with the Bears right now doesn't really matter. <laughs> Not if you're get, in Chicago. <laughs> get the right. Not a, the, get the right coach. Yeah. Get the right quarterback. The Bears are just fine. Which I know is is easier well, said than done. But that's what the NFL is about. There's really no reason to get any sort of bent out of shape about the NFL and anything. As like if 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 your team does not have a good coach or a good quarterback, you have no chance of winning a Super Bowl. So there's really no no way of no reason to ever get too high, get too low, unless you have those boxes already checked. Then go crazy. Okay. All right. Well. Uh let's see. What's going on this week in OU football? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know what's going on. I don't know. Do uh, they have a game on yeah. Saturday? I can't. I'm glad that you they, brought they up do. uh Glad that you brought up pro football focus there about like five minutes ago now because it's like, yeah, and one, one, you know, one end of the, the spectrum, you got Key, who is their highest graded safety. And cool. I mean, Key had a really good game. He didn't, outside of the plays he made, he didn't necessarily stand out to me too much while I was watching in the stadium. But um, PFF also had Jaron Kanick in like the mid 40s for his grade on this game. And like, that's, that's one where you got to like, I, I rewatched the game and Jaron Kanick was one of the best players on the field. That's patently absurd to put him in the forties. So yeah, there, there, there's another data point. To, well, are you sure? We sure that PFF is kind of all, all with it. So here's my, and I've said it before on this podcast, probably, but here's my main gripe with PFF and why there's no way that it's particularly accurate. There's 130 plus college football teams in FBS. And, so that means that there's got to be somebody that grades every single player from every single team that plays snaps in each game. And they're able to get these grades out like the night, the day of these games being over with. Like if there's a game at 11 a.m., grades will be out by the evening time. 
So you're telling me that there's enough people at PFF to watch back OU Cincinnati uh, and grade everybody on the field and watch every single snap because you have to watch multiple snaps over and over again. I mean, if you're, unless you're going to get 11 play like or 22 guys to watch the tape and everybody gets one guy and they just go through play by play by play and they mark it down, which there's I don't think PFF has that kind of staffing. So granted, like I, there's no chance that whoever's grading these games is able to get enough information. And I think the Jaron Canick example is pretty good because he was really good in that game after I watched it back. Uh, plenty of plays stood out, particularly, and this stood out live as well in the crowd, whenever he tackled Emory Jones on like a third down where Emory Jones had a designed run, and he just kind of calmly just kind of slid around through. And I don't know if he was spying him or not, but he just just like, boom, attacked, brought him down, open down field, no problem at all. Down immediately. immediately. No question about it. And it was a situation where it was a good QB draw spot, and it's almost like maybe Jaron Kanick was potentially anticipating that. And when he saw it, he made the play, and it made it look easy. And it's not easy tackling players in the, in the open field, especially a guy who's athletic like Emory Jones and can run. Just a play like that was like, that's a really nice play. Good for him. It's like one of those things where you hope – like what's going through Jaron Canick's head, or at least what was going through like the prep during that week is like, oh man, I play for the University of Oklahoma and I know just, you know, because I've watched tape and I've done it that this play has about a 100% success rate against Oklahoma over the last five or six years, this quarterback draw. So why wouldn't they run it in this situation? <laughs> and that's when you go back and rewatch the play, it looks like they know that it's coming and they defended it perfectly. Oh, yeah. So anyways, uh, interesting note there. Um, I know that uh, you got here in the rundown and I heard the Sooner Scoop guys talking about this as well in their last podcast. And I suppose it was confirmed, like, not that it needed to be confirmed or not, because it didn't, uh, that the coordinators didn't talk this week. So we didn't get uh, Jeff Levy. We didn't get a Ted Roof press conference, which has normally been happening on Mondays, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I, again, I'm not working for News 9 anymore, so I'm not... Uh, privy to you know why or you know i'm not talking to mike Houck all the time like i used to uh so anyways i i guess there's no reason for this at least i haven't heard any reason yet but uh i I mean i don't get it i don't know why you wouldn't have them talk i mean i don't it's it's not like jeff i mean jeff levy doesn't really say much anyways and i'll be honest with you grant i haven't listened to a ted roof presser all year because in my mind i i just care what brent venables has to say about the defense no offense to ted roof i listened to all of them last year and good guy like but never really said anything and any sort of like pertinent information you might need or want he would always defer to brent venables anyways so it was kind of like it was mostly fluff from ted roof so i guess i just don't really get why they would stop doing that unless uh i guess you know what that gives ted roof and jeff levy an extra hour or so a day to watch film so hopefully that's what they're doing with their time (laughs) i'm sure if anybody ever asked venables that's he'd probably say something pretty similar to that it's like, ah, oh, we're just trying to be more efficient with our time, la di da di da Nothing, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why they're doing this. Anything would be speculation. I think I think most people are probably going to jump immediately to the stuff that, that went down with Art Bryles and all that stuff a couple of weeks ago for why they don't want this. Or essentially, but I, I mean, essentially the reason why it's like they just don't want Jeff Lebby out there answering questions, I think would be the... Uh, would be I, I like the mat that you can jump to, I suppose, if you want to go. But I, I don't think we have enough information to go to go that far. Now, if this was if this happened 
and Lincoln Riley was still here and we were in like year seven of Lincoln Riley, it'd be very fair to speculate that there's some sort of nefarious reason behind this um, or some sort of misleading reading or, uh, you know, reason behind this. So far, I don't really know with this regime. I don't know if we can say that 100%, but um, I do know that Ted Roof has not said one newsworthy thing since he's been at OU, which depending on how you look at it, could be a good thing. <laughs> Oh, man, Lincoln Riley, uh, suspending a writer. I mean, it's just the dude doesn't doesn't get it. I mean, that like he wouldn't get away with that. At, I mean, he wouldn't. He obviously didn't do that at OU. I mean, he got mad at those student journalists a couple of years ago for reporting about Caleb getting reps and stuff and Spencer. It was kind of a question mark. He didn't suspend anybody like because that wouldn't fly here. Like there's no way he knew. But yeah, he knows the media is different. It's in California. Like. They're just not as into USC as people here are know you. And he knows it. So it's like he does that. And, I mean, it's just such a – the whole thing is ridiculous. I know I, the writer, like, tweeted or said that, hey, yeah, we spoke and we've – blah, blah, blah. But the fact that you're Lincoln Riley and you put yourself in that position to make this even a story is just insane to me. Insane. Asinine. Asinine. The fact that, like – and you said, I mean, pretty much – all of not even just like LA sports journalism, but national sports journalism basically rallied to that guy's side almost immediately after any of this stuff broke. And yeah, I, I, the, the story in this, obviously it's a story that Lincoln Riley is trying to, you know, suspend 23 year old players who are writing puff pieces. Um, and, and I'll be honest, like I, I know that Lincoln Riley says, Oh, like, you know, and what do you call that thing? Like there, he was, he, he interviewed this kid basically as they were all ro- walking away from practice or something. And he just got some, he was talking to players like in a non-official interview setting. So just like chatting, you know, which happens. I mean, all the time on the OUB, like guys walk up, they get done. And sure. Like you have a couple people talk to them and when they're done and maybe somebody will catch up with one of them and talk like it doesn't, ha- I mean, you won't see like a reporter stop somebody after it's over with and like talk to him for like five minutes. That's not a thing that's, that will happen. But people like, you know, you, you, yeah, it's there's a rapport there and you want to get a little extra things in. The guys walk away. And it's fine. It sounds to me like this is what this was. It's not a big deal. Yeah, and, no, exactly. I mean, they're winning. Right. They're, they're winning games. They're not losing. And it's like it's, it's such a weird. Th- and I think the, the, the reasoning by USC was, oh, we're trying to just protect our players or they use a different way to put it like. I don't know. It's just like, don't, don't. No, I mean, there's, there, they, they fell back stuff. on policy. They were saying that, like, you policy, have to approve yeah. every single interview. Anytime that you talk with a player, you have to, you have to, like, basically clear it with us or SID or whatever. And that's, whatever, that's their policy. That's a, I, like, I'm sorry, that's, that's a lame policy now that we know kind of how they operate or whatever. Um, I don't know. The whole thing is just kind of silly to me because we are here. I mean, I, I sit out on this podcast for multiple years. Uh, even maybe early on when we first started the podcast, that it's very clear that Lincoln Riley, they they coach their players as to what to say to the media because they were always canned. They always they always went back to basically the, the talking points. Um, it was always weird trying to talk to the, the players that you wanted to talk to. Um, there was just, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of misleading tactics by Lincoln Riley's regime when he was here. Um, and it, and a lot of the times it, it a lot of the times what ha- like the end result of it was definitely what their intention was that no information really ever came out of the program. It was just, 
Whenever, whenever you talk to a player, it was fluff. They never said anything of substance. Whenever you talk to Lincoln Riley, they never said anything of substance. The only person, while he was the only person at OU, while that regime was there, that you could get any sort of substance or answer out of was Alex Grinch, and that was it. Yeah, it wasn't a whole bit, and I, I know this isn't a Lincoln Riley thing, but just real quick, you reminded me. Like, I, I think you listen. You know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably also listen to Gabe and Teddy's podcast, and I, I want to say those guys even brought up some certain things like i mean maybe not at the time but like when riley left like yeah man there was times where we just didn't really even know what was going on and like they're inside the program and uh talking to dusty i mean D- dusty had pretty good access obviously uh obviously he's a alum at ou and all, works for espn and you know, he can call riley all the time but it just it just it wasn't the same kind of i don't know information that you would get even internally it sounded like compared to when stoops was the coach so um, now it's, I'm sure, very different with Brent Venables, and uh, you know everyone likes Brent, and everybody you know, there's all there's history there, and so. And by the way, real quick clarification, yeah, I think you brought it up. I think part of that kid's story at USC, like he quoted a, a player from like an like a, a conversation they had like off to the side. So yeah, if that technically was in a story and that's part of their policy, they can fall back on that, sure. But I agree, that's a dumb policy. Let's get to OU football now and uh the big question mark continues to be what's going on with the running backs and uh i'll go ahead and let you go with this because i have some thoughts i actually i watched venables as presser and so i have some thoughts about this as well just about kind of the tone and the way he answered it but i'll let you handle this part of it and give your thoughts sure and so i mean at this point in time i don't really it's it's the obvious question to ask but Brent venables also answered it in pretty much the most obvious way that you possibly can um, he, he essentially fell back on just like nobody in, in four weeks has established themselves like Eric Gray did a year ago. And to that, I say, duh, of course, that's the case. Um, the obvious follow up question to that is, well, I mean, it's kind of hard for someone to establish themselves when it's when from the outside looking in, it looks like you guys aren't even necessarily sure what you want to do with the running backs, the rotation of, or who should be getting carries. Uh, I don't know if that question was was specifically asked. But Venables went on to say that it's essentially the week of practice that sets the tone who's, who, for who's going to get snaps in the games, which, you know, is the cliched thing for, for coaches to fall back on. So at this point in time, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that we suggest that it, it's obvious to suggest the coaches think that Marcus Major and Tawi Tawi Walker have probably been the best practice players, which is kind of the feeling that we got maybe out of fall camp as well. But a lot of the time it was that's ah, because Barnes and Sachuk aren't 100 percent. They haven't really been practicing a whole lot. But um, it was my takeaway from from his his availability this week was essentially this is going to be a thing the rest of the year and like in perpetuity there it's this is just what's going to happen until someone quote unquote establish them establishes themselves. What's a little disappointing about that whole line of thinking is that I I think it's pretty clear that Tawi Walker has established himself as as the best of the four right now. Like, I don't even think it's really close from what we've seen so, so far. So a lot of good stuff there. And, and I'll just real quick, uh, I'd agree with that. Yes, I think Toby Walker's been the best. Uh, you know, we were bagging on Marcus Major a lot in the last podcast. And so, you know, upon my rewatch, I just wanted to point out a couple of things just to be fair to Marcus Major. Uh, like, he, he was not as bad upon the rewatch as... I as I thought he was in the game uh there were a couple of plays that I think really weren't on him but still overall there's a lot to be desired from the kid uh for example the, 
where I say it's not that bad. Like the very first snap, of the uh, very first carry he got. And I remember you and I in the crowd seeing him in there and the first carry and he lost like two yards. And we were just kind of like, of course, of course he lost two yards. That's what he does. You watch back the play and I have no idea what they're trying to do there. Like they're, they're pulling the right side of their line and they, DG hands it off to Marcus and Marcus goes where the guy to away from the pullers, which he had like no chance. Like it's almost like it was designed for Gabriel to pull it and then run behind the pulling tackle and guard the other way I don't so like that play was destined to fail from the beginning I don't even know if like I don't think Tawi would have gotten anything either there so like I think throw that player out the like that that wasn't a major that was a weird I don't know what that was uh but at the same time though like you go and I, you go back to the, the one we did criticize him on he slipped and fell that's on him you, you, you can't slip he he may not score on that but he, he picks up probably the first down gets inside the 10, maybe down to the five-yard line. You got to be able to make that play. And then I sent you a, a video, a Snapchat, as I was watching another one where they were going right to left where he got the carry around the right side. I can't remember. I think there was a, there was one polling. I think uh, maybe Everett was polling. I, I can't remember who it was. And actually, Everett pulled one time and got called for holding. But there's a different one where somebody was polling on, on the left side, one of the other guard or, or tackle. And it was a situation where everything was out in front of him. And all he had to do was just beat the corner to the edge because there is nobody that set the edge except for the corner and you can see that where he, where he is and yet he he can't do it he can't do it he, he doesn't he doesn't have the vision for it and he gets stopped and tripped up whereas I think Tawi Walker probably at least I don't know if he has the speed to get there so maybe he cuts up and gets a couple yards but I do think a guy like Gavin Sawchuk has better vision has better speed can probably hit that corner and get more yards and maybe even Javante Barnes could have seen that so just a couple plays like that but again and uh in the second half when he was getting those carries uh and that one driver who was getting chunk yards he looked good he looked really good on that he had his shoulder square and they were running a lot of you know GT counter type stuff I think you might have mentioned that on the last podcast they and they were doing more zone blocking schemes. And I guess I didn't notice if that was different from the first half. I know you, I think you might have mentioned that that was different. You heard some people talking about that. So if that's the case and he's, he's better at running behind that style, then great. Uh, he, he does have potential. It's just uh, there still is yards there that are, are not being gained by him. Although I don't think he was as bad in that game as I originally thought. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the uh, that first play of the game. That's... I I rewatched that a bunch of times. That's I. There's obviously a a a, a pull aspect of that play uh, from DG, where that was obviously the correct read for him was to pull that, because uh, then he actually had two guys out blocking in front of him with a numbers advantage on that side. Um, like I, I was like, look, and, and watching that, if Kyler Murray is the quarterback, that's a touchdown. Kyler is, <laughs> and like I, it's and like I mean, he's not the quarterback and it wasn't so that doesn't matter but yeah I mean that was from like a zone read aspect where you're reading like a part of the defense on whether or not you're going to keep or give it that was a perfect keep situation for Dylan Gabriel that would have been a chunk play there there was a there was a opportunity for a chunk play there if he just would have you know kept it and I it is it is worth mentioning that is something he struggled with majorly last big time last year where he would, where if he would have just kept it, he would have had so much space in front of him, guys out in front of him to block. Um, whereas I think last year we just sort of said, ah, he's doing that. He's just he's keeping everything because they can't get him hurt. I I think there's there's probably enough evidence out there right now that that says Dylan Gabriel just stinks at that. He's not any good at it. 
Um, and like the the touchdown yeah. that he scored in the Cincinnati game, also that should have been a give to Tawi Walker, and it would just it. I'm not gonna say it would have been a walk in, but it would have been a pretty easy touchdown, and not one where he had to have two or three OU guys come and push him into the end zone. Yeah, I. Yes and no on that because I I think they had it decently covered, but I think the fact that we know Tawi does fall forward and he's got some power, and the guy did kind of get over there a smidge late. Like if he did give it to Tawi, I agree. I think he would have gotten in, and it wouldn't have been a situation where your quarterback is dragging like three or four guys and has to get take a hit from behind by Walter Rouse, which I got just to get pushed into the end zone where he's getting all this contact. So yeah, I I think you're right. I think there there's definitely a lot left to be desired with Gabriel when it comes to his, you know, pulling it and not pulling it in this RPO offense. Which, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe that's just kind of, you can throw that into the basket of, of just some of his, of just his, his demerits as a quarterback, which is, Hey, I mean, I think, I think processing speed and is, is a problem for him. That's one of his, that that's one of his negatives. And on a keeper give read, that's what that is. You have to make a really, really quick decision based off what, a lot of the times an unblocked defensive end or you know is doing and i'm just saying that'd be very consistent with his other with, with his other kind of boo-boos his other you know his other weaknesses as a quarterback if he's just not very good at making that quick decision he seems like a guy who is who made who's already made up his mind of what he's going to do before the the ball is snapped essentially so um which is too bad because i you know when he when he does have, when he does make the right read, and he is, and he's running. Uh, he's he's a crafty runner. He's a good runner. I, it's just maybe his his decision making on when to run is just is just not particularly good. Which I hope this is maybe just one just kind of a one off thing that we see in the Cincinnati game because that's one of those things that from year to year, and you know this is his fifth year in college now. A lot of people say ah, when you get to that when you get that far, like you kind of are who you are. Being better at, at reading zone read plays whether you're not you're going to give or keep that's one of the things that i think it's pretty reasonable to say yeah that's that's something that he could make a jump on that's that's something that he could improve on on the margins and if he hasn't then crap man that sucks yeah we'll monitor it the rest of the year uh, but back to just the situation that hole at running back and uh, watching venables's press conference you know you i think you said that you got the sense that this is kind of just the way it's going to be this season the way the running backs are going to go and that may very well be true the sense I got from Venables was that he seemed very very uncomfortable let me let me be backtrack he was asked uh just point blank like why Javante Barnes and Gavin Sachuk were not in the mix against Cincinnati and uh, he said Venables said it was just that was the week of practice and he said that DeMarco is going to evaluate how they practice and that was it. Like, he was incredibly short. Like, he seemed kind of uncomfortable answering the question. And it came off to me as not definitely we have the answer. It's like, okay, yeah, DeMarco Murray's making this call. And to some extent, I'm sure Jeff Levy, but mostly DeMarco Murray. And it kind of comes off to me as is this a situation where Brent Venables is actually like, he's, you know, he's the head coach. He has full say, but he also has to trust his assistant coaches. I mean, he, DeMarco played for him. Like, he trusts these guys. But like, part of me is like, I don't think he wants this situation at running back. Like, he wants a set guy. I mean, all last year they had Eric Gray, and he was really good. And the way – he just seems so uncomfortable in this whole scenario. And to me, it's almost like – and I have no way of knowing this, and this could be totally wrong, but, like, in technical, I know Venables does have final say because he's the head coach, but what would it do to coach morale if he just came into that room and was like, DeMarco, listen, 
No. This is what we're doing. We're playing this guy. I don't care how he practices. Like, I, don't think, I just don't think Venables would do that right now. They're winning. They're getting by without it. But I kind of got the sense that maybe he just would like DeMarco Murray just to, to pick a guy, preferably somebody that's good, and then be more consistent with it. That's Again, maybe I'm reading way too much into his short kind of curt answer, but he seemed pretty un- uncomfortable answering, especially when it came to Barnes and Sawchuck. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I yeah. I mean, I I think you're right on with all of that. It's like it's, but also at the same time, like I Barnes and Sawchuk, Barnes has not looked good this year, and with what we've seen from him, he it looks yeah. like he has looks like he has taken a step back athletically, and just in his ability to move. Um, Sawchuk, I I don't know what's going on. I mean, Sawchuk, that was what we saw from Sawchuk in the Cheez It Bowl last year was better than I he he came off as. As a as as more talented, more athletic than Eric Gray in that game. Um, when we saw him in the Tulsa game, I don't know what to say. He just didn't look healthy. Didn't look healthy at all. Um, yeah. And then so just kind of based off of what we've seen so far, like I I, I understand I guess why it's mostly just been Tawi and Marcus Major, but from there it doesn't. I I just I don't understand. If that's the case, how is Tawi Walker not getting 75% of the carries right now? He has been yeah. so very obviously the best of the four that we've seen. And like I and I, I, I get this I get the sense, not even necessarily a sense. I mean, this is what people are saying. A lot of people like always kind of add that caveat when talking to Tawi Walker, like, ah, this shouldn't be the case, but you know, he is he's he's been the best running back. And they always add that in there just because they know he's a walk-on. I don't care that he's a walk-on. He's better than matter. Marcus Major. He's better than Javante Barnes right now. My eyes are telling me that. I don't give a rip if he's a walk-on. If he's the best player, he needs to play. Right now, out of those four, from what we have seen, all we can go on is what we've seen so far this year. It's Tawi Walker by, like, a lot right now. He's by far the best one. Yeah, he's been the best. Uh, I, I don't know if it... I don't know. He, he's kind of gotten the short end of the stick the last couple of games. Um, granted, like again, to be fair to Marcus Major, like he got what was it? He he had five carries and then I think a couple catches. So still not not that many touches, and he only averaged like three yards per carry uh, against Cincinnati. Um, I did a lot better on on catching the ball, but uh, he's the last two games he hasn't gotten as much run as he did in the first. Is that right? The first two games, uh, mainly. I mean, Arc State. Definitely got a lot of touches in that game, a lot of carries in that game, and uh, yeah, SM was it SM, yeah, SMU. SMU he had too, over twenty I, carries, yeah. and he didn't touch it at all against Tulsa. Which I mean, I guess then the Levy said he's like, hey, we want to get Barnes and Sachuk going, and I mean, they definitely gave them all the carries. It's just it, yeah, it was just weird. So yep, you have uh, you know Savion Bird, he's back. Uh, Venables talked about that. So anytime you get starters back, that's always good. I know the the left side was. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I I, I thought any thoughts on that. I I don't know. The offensive line was. I you're you're not going to believe this when I say the offensive line was was good to pretty good on Saturday, like it pretty much yeah. always is. I I thought they played their best game of the season up to this point, and I again I'm I'm just I'm very happy with the way that they pass protect. Like really really happy with it. They do a good job. I agree. I agree. Not other, not you know, not many other injury issues to talk about. I mean, Justin Harrington didn't come up, so I mean, haven't heard much at all about that since last week. So it kind of makes you think. Yeah. I think he's done for the year. I think he's done for the year. Yeah, 
And then uh, I know you have you have you know rich written down here. Um, you know, I guess a couple other names like R. Mason. Tom- like honestly, yeah, you get R. Mason Thomas if he's available to play at some point. Great. Uh, I mean, they have so much depth right there at that position. Like it's fine. I mean, um, and then uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see what happens with Reggie Pearson. He, I guess he didn't even make the trip last week. I think the Eddie and George might have mentioned that he didn't even make the trip. Wasn't even in Cincinnati. So. Boy, oh boy, uh, transfer guy from Tech, and that'd be pretty rough for him if, he, if he's not even you know, playing a whole lot. It's almost, I don't know. I mean, think back to last year. Think how long it took, uh, you know, like a guy like Reggie Pearson was able to get, a, he was a starter, like right right off the bat, and he transferred in. Um, let's see, who else? I mean, I guess Bothroyd was playing a lot. Like all these transfers, but whereas like last year, I mean, think how long it took C.J. Colden to get consistent playing time as a transfer, as a guy that had played a lot of college football. I mean, he didn't start playing consistently until like the Texas game and kind of really after the Texas game. Uh, Trey Morrison was getting, you know, spot duty here and there uh, most of the season. And so I don't know if it was just kind of them. Maybe they just weren't very good. Uh, or if it was like the, the philosophy of the team of like, yeah, they're new to the program, so maybe they're not going to play as much. But, uh, you know, Pearson starts right away, but it'd be kind of a bummer for him if he comes over here and he's already got his job taken from him or he, he can't even play anymore. I uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, typically, if he didn't make the trip, I mean, that means he had some sort of injury designation. Like, I, I find it really hard to believe that even if he just got benched, that they would just be like, ah, screw it. Yeah, well, you're you're so far yeah. back now that we're not even going to take you on the trip. That's, he, he clearly, they he was hurt in some sort of way. Um, Yeah, but like, I mean, I hope Key Lawrence has, take, has, has taken his job. I've said this leading up to this, like, Pearson, like this isn't. It, it wasn't a bad pickup for them for for OU, but Texas Tech fans hated Reggie Pearson last year because he was because he was bad defending the pass. Which I think if you had to pick one thing that you would want your safety to be good at, it'd be defending the pass. That's that's <laughs> that, that's the that's if if you had to pick one thing that that's what I want him to be good at. And so it was always the best case scenario for OU this year for somebody to take that job from him. Always, and I think I think most people are thinking oh, I'd be great if if Peyton Bowen just took it from him. Um, Peyton Bowen is is just is just going to play every single position. He's going to play a lot, and he's one of the Peyton Bowen is 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 going to be one of the leaders on snaps on defense this year, uh, just regardless of what position he's playing. So that was going to happen, I think, regardless of of where Pearson was. Uh, but now you got Key Lawrence kind of playing really really well right now, and. I, you know, we've we've seen Key Lawrence play decent pass defense at times in his career. A lot of the times, I mean, that was when he was, you know, during that that corner experiment when he was a when he was a redshirt freshman. But um, yeah, I it's I, I'm okay with it. I, I'm okay with Reggie Pearson, a guy in his fifth year of college football, who has started nearly forty games in his career, being like being like your sixth or seventh defensive back. That sounds really good to me. Indeed, indeed. All right, Grant. Well, we know you're a big analytics guy. Give us an analytics update on where the Sooners stand after four games. Yeah, I just, I just kind of wanted to throw this in here, just so that we, you know, with how we talk about the team, and I think, I think you and I, if you pulled both of us, we would, neither of us would say that we think that OU is, you know, is consistent with a lot of these rankings right now. But I just want to say I, I, I took four of the kind of the big time ones, uh, SP plus, FPI, FEI, and KFORD. And uh, Lee, all of these analytic systems really, really like OU. They're top 10 in all of them. They're top eight 
in all of them. So I think SP Plus has the has the best reputation out of all of these. They're eighth currently in SP Plus, uh, fourth on offense, thirteenth on defense. Thirteenth uh, on defense, Lee. That would be the highest that they uh, they have been on the defensive side of the ball since two thousand and nine. It was the last time they were that high. They finished 16th in, 20, in 2020, the COVID year. They finished 19th in 2015 on the defensive side of the ball in SP+. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they've been putrid on defense and have finished outside the top 50. Um, FPI, Lee, this is, uh, this is ESPN's football power index. Um, and it's been, it's been fairly predictive over the last handful of years. Lee, OU is second in that right now. I believe I believe Washington is number one, and I'm sorry, Ohio State is number one in ESPN's FPI. OU is second, and that is with preseason projections. That's also with uh, how it's going right now. Either um, and it's it's sort of flipped here. FPI has OU as the number ten offense and fifth on defense, which is uh, obviously you love to see that. Uh, FEI is is kind of like a I, I think it's a combination between SP plus. And um, ooh, another ana- analytical system that football outsiders used to uh, use a lot. OU is eighth in that. They're seventh on offense, sixteenth on defense, and then uh, and K Ford, which is kind of a newer one, which I've liked a lot, just because he's got a bunch of different type of algorithms for it that I think are really interesting. OU is third in that one, uh, fifth on offense, and ninth on defense. So, um, what I'm saying is the computers again really really like OU. And by this time last year, and of course OU had already had a loss at this point last year, but I do even recall, even after like the Nebraska game and everything, um, the computers really liked OU in the preseason last year, and that was because, you know, contrary to popular belief, they did not really bleed a lot of roster spots from Lincoln Riley leaving. Um, they had a lot, a lot of blue chip guys on their roster last year, heading into the season, um, and that, and that that's very predictive a lot of the time. And so a lot of them really liked OU uh, last year, but, but after the first three games, they started to slip a little bit and in, in the analytical models, um, they didn't like them as much. And, uh, whereas this year they still very, very much do like them. So, hmm. um, which, I mean, I, I think that that confirms what our eyes have seen a lot of the time and, and games one and three, they were so dom They were just so dominant, completely ran the other team off the field and in games two and four, which we all feel they didn't play as cleanly, they were two pretty decent opponents that they did keep at arm's length and had a pretty, you know, had a pretty wide success rate gap between the two of them. Um, so keep it going. Analytics really like OU right now. Think they're in all of these. Think them and Texas are pretty much right next to each other. And so at the press conference. You know, Venables was at, you know, talk about the defense and how well it's been playing. He was asked if the defense is dominant, which I'll be honest with you, I listened to the presser and I don't even remember this because I guess certain questions like this, I, there's like no value to it to me because like, what's he going to say? I could just like, so he said it's not close, but of course it's not close. Like there's a long way to go. So I don't even remember what he said <laughs> to answer this question because it's kind of like, I don't know. I, it's something that I would never ask. That's just not, but that's, I worked in TV and I just, we would never really, I don't know if where I'd ever even use that, but uh, I don't know, Grant, what did he, did, is it worth saying what Venable said or how he answered this question? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's, it's all coach speak. I mostly wanted it as a prompt for us to kind of go into it. Gotcha. Um, because I, I, by my eyes, the defense is, is a lot, a lot better this year. I, th- I think that's pretty obvious. 
Um, I, I think tackling, well, I mean, I always said tackling is where it really, really shows up. They just really haven't missed a whole lot of tackles by my eyes. And then, but then when I'm watching them on the field, on the, it's the biggest difference, like I've said, and I feel bad about this, is is the speed at linebacker. No longer having David Aguebu there is just, is huge. That was, a, that, that completely taking away that, uh, um, away that defenses attacked OU last year. You could just run around them very consistently last year can't do that anymore you really can't do that anymore it's because jaron canick is probably probably running in the four five four six range and david aguebu is running in the five two five three range <laughs> and like i'm dead serious about that yeah my i feel i mean i the defense it's clearly better than it was last season i think we can say that with a lot of certainty at this point um and although oklahoma has had an easy schedule uh, I think statistically, they've been challenged more than teams like, for example, like a Penn State or a Michigan, two teams that are considered top defenses in college football. Uh, and statistically, that's what it shows. I mean, you look at it. Uh, I think Oklahoma has been challenged more than those two teams. But then, I guess to be fair, like you get to the Ohio States of the world. They just play Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a really good football team. So they've been, they've been challenged. I mean, Notre Dame, on the other hand, they just played Ohio State. Uh, they have a really good defense as well. Clemson just played Florida State so like I mean they, they played FSU um, Oregon just played Colorado I know Travis Hunter's not there so it's a little different uh, so like some of these other top defenses have faced you know some better offenses than Oklahoma uh, but I will say that I am optimistic considering Cincinnati's offense is actually ranked pretty high based on raw stats like I know you're not a big raw like total defense guys like more analytic stuff and I mean I think you can you can find a balance for all of them but Cincinnati, even after the game against OU where they only scored six points, Cincinnati's 14th in total offense right now in the nation. That's pretty good. Uh, SMU's at 29. And so I think OU has been tested a little bit so far, and I think they've passed these tests against some of these teams that don't have horrible offenses. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a team like they're not dominant overall, but there has been some dominant stretches uh, most of the second half against Tulsa. All of Arkansas State, um, you know, I'm very encouraged by how how smart the defense looks to be, like as a whole, collectively. There's no dumb penalties, seemingly. Uh, they seem to kind of understand what the other team is trying to do, which we've been begging for for years. Like they've been watching some tape. They look prepared. They're not giving up the edge very much. And you mentioned it. They're tackling well. And so I think it's been a terrific coaching job so far by Brent Venables and also Ted Roof and, and the rest of the defensive staff. So uh, – while I still am going to be somewhat skeptical because it's only four games and we saw what happened last year, I am optimistic because I don't think they've played. They played some bad offenses, but they also played, played a couple of offenses that aren't bad, that are at the very worst average. And I think you can say more about OU than you can say about a, a Penn State or a Michigan who's they've faced offenses that are ranked in the hundreds, all of them, or, or like an FCS team. And not to say that Oklahoma has a better defense than those teams. I don't, I'm not saying that. I, they probably don't. But Oklahoma has been tested a little bit more than they have so far. Yeah, I'm – and it's only been four weeks, so I, I am sort of curious how, how the rest of the season plays out and how some of these models and some of these ranking systems sort of updates. Like you see with Cincinnati, for instance, you see kind of a – so I, I put their, their SP plus and their FPI offensive ranking here. Cincinnati is 72nd in SP plus on offense, but they're 49th on, uh, in FPI. 
whereas SMU is 35th and 38th respectively in both of those. I think that's where SMU is offensively in both of these ranking systems. I think that's much closer to what Cincinnati actually is. And I think where Cincinnati is in these is probably a lot closer to where SMU actually is. Um, that's, that's how I felt watching them. Um, I can say, and this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, from watching Iowa State and Oklahoma State, Cincinnati is significantly better on offense than both of those teams. Um, hmm. But I, I, I will say, I, and I think Cincinnati is, is the best offense they've faced so far this year. I know the, the analytical models say it's SMU. Uh, my my eyes that's that's not what they told me at all um i i thought cincinnati was 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 a little bit better than smu on the offensive side of the ball which which obviously i mean that after after that performance last saturday that makes you feel a little bit better for sure um but i, I you know i don't know i i i'm not sure really any top tier defense has really been tested this year um the only ones i can th- i mean obviously that ohio state notre dame game those are both supposed to be pretty top top tier defenses that went against two good offenses. Um, Notre Dame, Ohio State was definitely more of a rock fight. Definitely more of where where teams, both teams, were struggling to finish drives and to and, and to get explosive plays. I know, I know, I know. Ohio State had a really long touchdown run, but um, and then the only other game that you could probably bring up is Texas and Alabama. Those are two. Yeah. Those are two top ten defenses that have faced what are you know at the end of the year are, are going to say are are probably top. 10 to top 20 offenses in college football. Um, and, you know, you could say that obviously Texas got, you know, got the better of that matchup. But, yeah, I don't know if there's been a lot of really good defenses that have actually gone against, like, high-powered offenses up to this point yet. So um, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where, you know, where that where that shakes out once once more happens. Whereas the most interesting thing is, is going to be probably when OU plays Texas, um, where – um, whereas I, I feel that Texas is, has the best defense in the country of, of what I've seen so far. Um, and, the, and Texas does have the number one defense per FPI. Um, and then going against OU's offense, I think, I think that's going to be interesting. So um, I don't know, man. I, all I know right now is that I think uh, OU's defense is not giving up some stuff this year that they've given up to bad offenses in the past. This year, it's felt much more vice-like. It's felt much more like they're they're strangling these guys and not allowing them to breathe. And I think a big part of that is is the run defense. The run defense has just objectively been really good. Nobody is outside of outside of ten yards here, twelve yards there. Nobody has really had any success consistently running the ball against this OU defense. And you know, I, I thought at times last year their run defense was pretty decent. But then there were times last year where they just they they could not get anybody off the field a lot of the you know a lot of the time because of run defense. Just where's where's two? Where's David Aguebu? Run right at him, and a lot of the time, boom, you profit, and that's that you can't do that anymore. All right, want to talk OU Iowa State? We're gonna move no, on. No, let's to the keep game let's, let's no, let's talk OU versus Kansas State 2018. I don't two, know. Uh, oh gosh, that was the. That post, was a massive uh, blowout. That was I. I just that was threw that was post. Uh, that was after I, I, a couple of games after Mike Stoops got fired. I think that so was think, game two post Mike Stoops firing. Yeah. the first one was uh, was that TCU. TCU game in Fort Worth where they they won that game very comfortably, but and they won the K State game very comfortably. Yeah, and they like and K State couldn't move the ball at all. And we we're like, okay, here we go. That was the Ship last time K State. 
Yeah, that was the last time K-State wasn't competitive against OU. Uh, ever since then, right, it's been, kind of been hold, hold your butts <laughs> when you play Kansas State. The last um, I, I've been watching, and well, we'll get to Iowa State. I probably, well, this is about Iowa State. So I, I, I was watching old OU-Iowa State games today, just kind of like highlight, Pat, and I, and I started with the, the 2018 game, and that was week three. And Lee, do you remember who the starting quarterback for Iowa State was in that game? Yeah, um, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna remember, but I, I remember. Gosh, um, had a had a goofy name. Uh, yeah, who was it? It was Zeb Noland. Zeb Nolan. Zeb Nolan. Ah, Zeb Nolan. Ah, Zeb. Yeah. Okay. And so it was. That was just a very. Uh, I I only bring it up just to like, just to say that Iowa State offense in that game, and they had David Montgomery. Like I, David Montgomery didn't really do much in that game but oh man did Hakeem Butler do a lot in that game and it was just like it, it just it was just reminding me of just I mean that's a really awful OU defense I mean probably the worst power five defense in the country that season and just watching a bad a bad Iowa State offense and that was before Brock Purdy took over that season just chunk play after chunk play against Mike Stoops's defense and it was Zeb Nolan. Zeb Nolan throwing to Hakeem Butler. Justin Broyles trying to cover Hakeem Butler. Not being able to tackle. Just, oh my gosh. And then, and then you watch. And then it's also, I mean, equally, I mean, equally frustrating watching Kyler Murray in the OU offense basically move the ball at will between the 20s. And then once they got inside the 20, sometimes they just, they kind of, they kind of died a little bit. They didn't, they weren't able to finish drives. And it was like, man, such a, such a patented Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma game that was. <laughs> um all right so we'll start with the iowa state and offense let's start with the iowa state offense because we were just talking about the defense obviously and so i think the i wanted that's why i wanted to bring up is ou's start on defense is a bit of a mirage because they they really haven't played what i would consider a good college offense yet they, they haven't they've they've faced smu and cincinnati who i think are are capable sometimes on offense. Um, and I bring that up just because, Lee, the analytics and my eyes say that Iowa State's offense is much, much closer in the tier to Tulsa and Arkansas State than they are to SMU and um, SMU and Cincinnati. Now, there was some things that I saw last week against Oklahoma State where Iowa State definitely had some signs of life. But... Man, I this Iowa State offense is it's impotent. It's it's bad. They completely incapable of running the football. It's in fact, if if Iowa State runs the ball more than 15 times in this game coming up, just get on the bus. Just there's no reason to even show up if that's if that's part of your game plan. So this will be interesting it's a because wasted play. You, know, you you watched last like you watched last week's game. Iowa State's win over Oklahoma State. I actually, I all I saw from that is kind of the stuff we watched live last week when we were in Cincinnati. Um, I I chose to watch. I started with the Iowa game a few weeks ago, Iowa State Iowa, and then also I watched the Ohio game where they lost at Ohio ten to seven. So I have not really seen anything from the Oklahoma State game, which is a game where the based on the box score and the score, the the offense did something scored a lot of points uh because what i saw against iowa and against ohio was awful uh, it, it's so bizarre i'm watching the iowa game 
And I swear, man, like I know you're always ripping on Iowa State's offensive line over the years. Like they're always bad. They're getting pushed with their offensive line against Iowa. I swear, like they're they're getting and they still can't run the ball. Like I don't know if it's just uh, maybe my eyes are deceiving me, or maybe it's because they have bad running backs actually, uh, which I think they might have bad running backs. Well, that's interesting because I I, I did not watch the Iowa game. Um, but man, my takeaway from Ohio and Oklahoma State is that their offensive line is putridly awful. I no, I they're they can they can get some push and stuff. I just think they're that running back they have that's getting most of the Cartavius Norton. He has kind of like some, like he thinks he's David Montgomery, with at at best half the talent. Like he'll go backwards and try to like find running room. He's not very fast. It's like he'll get caught. And it's just, that's not great. I kind of thought that Abu Sama, like the true freshman guy, might be something because he, he came in against Iowa and looked okay for a couple carries. But now you look at the, he didn't really do anything against Ohio. And on the season, he hasn't done anything. I mean, their entire running game is awful. I mean, they're, what are they averaging as a team? Like, oh, uh, under three yards a carry. 2.9 yards per carry as a team. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, their, their offensive line stinks. It's bad. It's, and which is not surprising. I mean, even when, Iowa State was playing in Big 12 championships and they had a lot of other NFL players on their offense. Their offensive line was still terrible, was still awful. Um, and so, and it has continued to stay awful. I, this is, their offensive line is, is right there with Arkansas State and Tulsa. It's, they're awful. They're awful, awful. And the amount of times that Rocco Becht was under pressure against Ohio is, I mean, it has to just be alarming for Iowa State fans. To be fair, Ohio, you check out their SP Plus. I mean, overall in the nation, Ohio's total defense right now, they're fourth in the nation in total defense. Yeah, they're probably... So they, <laughs> they, they, they haven't played Ohio anybody. probably has the best defense in the MAC. Um, but I, it's not, I wasn't no, I super I impressed by Ohio's defense. Is essentially, like, it wasn't... It, it it it's and it's not like Iowa State was like was stressing them out with all of their playmakers and you know to be fair I mean J- Jalen Knoll did not did not play in that Ohio game he had like the stomach flu or food poisoning or something um, and then you know he, he comes and he plays against Oklahoma State and he's got he has a massive game him and Daniel Jackson do but um, man I just when I'm when when I watch especially that Ohio game is just not any explosion really whatsoever that they're even capable of they are i mean i think their running backs are bad their offensive line is bad it's even if their running backs get some space they're not fast they can't really run away from anybody um they don't they don't look explosive in the pass game at all but then of course against oklahoma state they were explosive in the pass game but if you go back and watch a lot of it I mean, they, it's, it was busts. It was busts, wide-open guys down the field by Oklahoma State. And like I, watching that game, I, I was more struck by how bad Oklahoma State is than anything else. Where I was just like, man, Oklahoma, they, had, they lost a lot, clearly, because Oklahoma State just didn't really have any good players on their team. And um, I, I, I do got to say, I, I think Rocco Becht, and this is, I think Rocco Becht is, is better than Hunter Deckers. Um, or at least he's got a higher ceiling. Um, what I saw from Rocco Becton against Oklahoma State, uh, it was better than really anything I saw from Hunter Deckers ever. Um, but man, there were still some glitches there and still some things where I watch and I'm like, oh, if OU can kind of get some pressure on this guy just a little bit and doesn't have a bunch of coverage busts, 
Oh yeah, he's he, he's gonna throw it to OU a lot. I think kind of kind of panic, throw it up type things. Um, he's a dude who is who's kind of shown a bit of an ability to get outside of the pocket a little bit just to buy time. But even against Ohio, like anytime he was in the open field or had any green grass in front of him, Ohio quickly closed the gap on him and made it so that he couldn't really do much damage. Um, I think this is a ba- I, I think this Iowa State offense is really bad. I think they're really, really bad. And um, it's I, I think it's interesting that they were able to to generate some explosive pa- uh, you know plays in the passing game against Oklahoma State, but. When I watch it, I it, it didn't seem to be anything that Iowa State was doing. They were just Oklahoma State busts, man. I mean, these guys guys getting free releases and just running running to open grass where there's no Oklahoma State guys there. That's essentially what it was. Well, it's super interesting that you have that takeaway after watching, like seeing the Oklahoma State game, of which I have not seen, and you didn't see the Iowa game, and I think you watched the Ohio game. So, I mean, you've seen them bad. You've seen them at their best, seemingly. And you still think it's not a good offense. I, I'm just so interested, like, how they were able to do what they did against Oklahoma State. And I can't come to any other conclusion after watching the Ohio and the Iowa game other than Oklahoma State's a bad football team. Uh, they're just a bad football team. Because They did a much uh, better I, I job of – did a much, much better job in the short passing game to kind of keep them ahead of schedule. They did not – I just, like, I want to be clear here. They, they, they were awful running the ball against Oklahoma State. They – I mean, I, their success rate running the ball had to have been astronomically low. Uh, they they did break off a, a handful of like kind of ten plus yard runs in the second half, um, but a lot of the times that was just Oklahoma State called a bad defense and they ran where their guys weren't. Essentially, it was one of those things. I just Iowa State has one of the least impressive running games I have like I have ever seen at the Power Five level. I mean, it's bad. They are just they're completely in completely incapable of doing it yeah i agree yeah just the the running game is punchless i do agree with you as well even not even seeing the oklahoma state game where beck played the best game of the year probably Uh, i don't know how we did against northern iowa maybe he played well against them in week one but uh not even seeing that game i do agree with you i think he is better than hunter deckers i think he's got bigger upside but that's more of a a knock on Deckers. We both never liked him. Uh, he was never a guy that I was like, oh, that guy, that guy's got some skill and talent. Like, and he's always kind of looked like a, like he, th- at very best, a below average Division One FBS quarterback. Like he's not a very good oh, he's player. He's a, so, <laughs> yeah, Hunter Deckers is an ultra poor man's Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it's even a knock to Dylan Gabriel. So I, I, I do think Beck has a little bit of, of talent. Like he's, he's got good mechanics. Like he's deep, pretty decent arm. But man, like, if Oklahoma does what it's supposed to do and plays like it has been playing, I mean, he's going he's gonna to throw the ball to Oklahoma. He's, he's going to turn it over a couple of times. He had a pick six against Iowa, just a terrible pick six. I mean, just stared the guy down through a, a long out route that was easy pick six, and that was the difference in the game. It was a 20-13 to 13 final score. Uh, that happened in the first half, but uh, just this guy, like he'll, he'll stare guys down. Uh, he threw a, a pick against Ohio. It wasn't necessarily his fault. His guy fell down. That led to points. Uh, he'll he'll throw you the ball. I don't know if he had any turnovers against Oklahoma State. Did he? Did he turn it over against OSU? No, he didn't. No, he played clean football. So you know, and maybe I mean, like anybody, I mean, I'm sure he's improving. I'm sure he's getting better. It's just Oklahoma's played pretty good defense this year, and you're exactly right. This offense Oklahoma's about to face is definitely more along the lines of an Arkansas State or a Tulsa. There's no doubt about it. 
And so, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, there was just a lot of glitches from Oklahoma State's offense allowing guys essentially behind their safeties. Um, result, I mean, two, that two, two of his touchdown passes were exactly that. And then uh, his third touchdown pass was actually like on that exact same play that he threw the pick on against Ohio. Um, just I honestly awfully defended, terribly defended. One of those like one of those plays where it's how like how the defenses were lined up. It's so very obviously that that was there for Rocco Beck and he just took it as a touchdown. So, um, gosh, man, I. This is this should not be the offense to 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 test OU's defense at this point in time. If OU just kind of shows up and they play to the same level they have the first four weeks, they can shut these guys out. They can. They they can't. And um, man, just like it's don't don't let anybody get behind you and tackle. And this this offense is totally punchless. They just do not have a lot there. What are they? Uh, I mean, I know I, I like the roster. I mean, overall, Iowa State's 121st in college football in total offense. This game against <laughs> just, Oklahoma State was their first game this season. Mind you, only four games. It was the first time that they went over 300 yards of total offense in a game this year. And that was against, that was in their first three games, which included a MAC team and an FCS team. 5.1 yards per play averaging. Um, that's, that's not good. That's not good. Uh, Oklahoma needs to play well against this this team. Um, a couple of the, you mentioned Jalen Knoll. Uh, interesting about him, he he had eight catches against Iowa, but he was bad against Iowa. I mean, he had like two or three drops. He misread a punt that cost Iowa State about fifteen yards that bounced back. Uh, he was not good in that game. Uh, their their best receiver in that game ended up being Jaden Higgins. Uh, he had eight grabs for ninety five and a touchdown in that game against Iowa. And I look He's at his, the most his physically impressive that they have receiver that they have, but he I, I was also a transfer. Kind of, I say he hasn't. He since Iowa, he hasn't. I mean, he had a touchdown catch against Ohio, but he didn't do anything in a in an offensive explosion against Oklahoma State. He only had one grab. So it, maybe they were keying. Maybe the Cowboys were keying on him, and Beck was able to go more to Noel. And so I mean, I, I certainly expect like Noel to be better against Oklahoma just out of principle because they're, they're playing OU. <laughs> So he's going to find a way to be better. And I expect this Jaden Higgins guy to be somebody that Oklahoma should definitely pay attention to because he's big, 6'4", 210, uh, big catch radius, and they're going to try to throw him the football. So he, he's what stood out to me the most uh, on their offense through the first few games, at least what I've seen on tape. Yeah, and this is, I mean, if Iowa State is going to come in and try to win this game, then they what they're going to do is they are, they are going to just, they're going to, they're going to hit up the short passing game hard in this game. That's what it's going to be. So there's, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of curls, a lot of crossers, a lot of out routes in front of the chains, hoping to, yep. hoping to keep them, hoping to keep them ahead of schedule. And I, you know, I think OU knows that. Um, and obviously, I mean, Iowa state, they scored, they scored 37 points last week against, or 34 points against Oklahoma state. They're, they're going to come out with a similar game plan back through it 38 times. And I'm, they would be completely moronic to think that they have a chance to win doing anything else. Um, unless OU just comes out and is just clueless in the run game, defending the run, but I, I don't really see that happening at all. They're, Iowa, State's, Iowa State's run game is so bad that you can defend it effectively with only five or six guys in the box. I'm, very, I'm pretty confident of that. 
Hopefully, and that's I mean, obviously they they can't let Iowa State run the ball. Iowa State has not been able to run the ball against anybody. Uh, Oklahoma's been terrific against the run, so Iowa State should not be able to run the ball against Oklahoma. So in theory, you know, okay, like make sure you defend them well through the air. And if you can have one weakness for Oklahoma, it's their pass defense. Their pass defense, it's it's not bad, but it's definitely something that you can exploit uh, when there's plenty of cushion, like you mentioned. I, I think you're right. The short passing game is going to be big time for them. Uh, in front of the chains uh certainly they're going to see some of those wheel routes on tape that cincinnati ran and venables actually brought that up in his presser he's like you know what hey now we're going to rep that now we've seen it on tape we're going to make sure these guys know how to defend it so you're like that's that kind of stuff is like okay that's useful i like hearing that but also also at the same time cincinnati's game plan involved a lot of short passes as well did not go well for them in fact oh you did a great job of letting them catch it and then tackling before they get to the line to gain Love that. Just freaking love that. That was the last time you saw that from an OU team, actually. That's great. And I, I will say I did make a note when I was rewatching the Cincinnati game. When Cincinnati went tempo a couple of times, they were able to, to get some yards against Oklahoma. The Sooners ended up kind of adjusting to it a little bit. But that's definitely a weakness as well. Like Oklahoma could potentially give up something if – Iowa State wants to go tempo. The problem is I don't think Iowa State does a lot of tempo. That's not, not part of their identity. So, I mean, I'm sure they'll have it in their playbook. It'd be dumb not to uh, to see if they can you know bring it out every once in a while against Oklahoma. But just something to keep an eye on. If they start going tempo, Oklahoma could be had a little bit in that uh, until hopefully the Sooners adjust to it. Let's so I, I would just say I, I will be if, – if Iowa State is able to generate some chunk plays and move the ball in this game, I'm going to be really upset. This offense sucks, and if OU is who we want them to be, who we think they should be, they, they, need, they need to physically manhandle this offense. They're bad. This is a really bad offense. They're, they're not going to score a lot of points on, on anybody this year outside of Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State is oof. That, that is just oof, 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 oof. Yeah, what's going on there? Oklahoma State, I'm pretty sure knocked off Arizona State a couple weeks ago in Tempe. And Arizona State, I, and I mean, Oklahoma State's not a good football team. And Arizona State gave USC a lot the other night in Tempe in a weird game. I mean, I know you're probably apples to oranges and stuff, but it's apples know, to oranges. Man, We've we saw that's that's it's it's not surprising at all for a Lincoln Riley team to struggle with a bad team. Why yeah. is that any sort of surprise to you whatsoever? Uh, good point. Uh, let's flip the script over to the defense and obviously Iowa State's strength. Uh, very good defense, uh, although I'd push back that they have not they have not faced any sort of challenge offensively. But uh, I mean, they have not. Doesn't mean it's a bad. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that their defense is going to get shredded by OU. I hope it does. Hope that's what it means. Hope Oklahoma, but like Oklahoma couldn't move it that well consistently against Iowa State last year, and Iowa State was a bad football team. So uh, who knows. I'm curious if curious if Jeff Lebby and OU's offensive coaching staff sees the same thing I do when I watch Iowa State's defense. Hey, I mean like hey, they're they're playing they're playing the patented John Heacock defense is what they're doing. But man, they're slow. They're slow on defense. And I like more so than I think they have been in the past, especially at linebacker. And so I think there might be a lot of success running running east and west in this game just trying to get around them because I, I just I'm 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 not 
I'm not impressed with them athletically. I think they uh, TJ Tampa, who I who I still think is probably the best defensive back in the Big Twelve, um, is, is a really good player. I I don't know, man. Their defensive line doesn't look very good. Their linebackers look slow. I'm really curious to see how OU attacks them, how they do against this, because I they might be kind of they might be close to having like one game where somebody breaks through and scores a lot of yards and points on them, and then they might just fall apart. They don't look that athletic on defense. So how did Oklahoma State get so many points against Iowa State whenever Ohio, Ohio Iowa, and you know, Northern Iowa wasn't really able to? Well, it was an interesting... Um, well, so they had like an 80-yard touchdown pass in the game. That's, that is going to, to take up a lot of it. But it was, a, it was an interesting thing. They caught, they caught Iowa State totally in man coverage, and they actually they motioned their running back out to the um, out of the formation to line up as a receiver, and one of their exceptionally slow linebackers, number fifty, followed him. Guy is so freaking slow, so slow, um, and they just ran, they just ran a go route with their running back, just totally burned him and touchdown. Huh. Okay. Yeah. It's it's. I I, I just and. I ho- and this hope Oklahoma was, has a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And this was Oklahoma State's running back. Not fast. Not a fast guy. Like at all. So it's... Um, really? Yeah, I was, um, I, I was also just not impressed by Oklahoma. Alan Bowman is, who I thought he was, a really bad player. Real, real bad player. Um, he was when he was at Texas <laughs> Tech, too. That was, all, that was all Cliff Kingsbury, any success that he had. Yeah, I, he was never particularly impressive. I'm not sure what he was thinking trying to p- throw towards TJ Tampa at the end of that game. I mean, that sealed the game. I, I, I did see that. We were watching, and uh, he threw a game-ending like interception, basically. They, maybe don't throw near that guy. There's plenty of other options in that secondary to throw around. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think back to last year, like where Oklahoma, you went to that game. It was a, it was a ugly football game. I mean, the defense played well. Danny Stutzman almost had a pick six, or did he have a pick six? He get knocked out like out of bounds like by the one or something. Got knocked out uh, at like the two, and then then yeah. Gray punched it in like a play or two later. See, but yeah, but I think the final score of that game was what, like twenty to ten or something, or twenty three to thirteen, or you know, it's not like Oklahoma. It was twenty seven to thirteen. Okay, twenty seven. Okay, I mean, man, I want this Oklahoma offense to at least score in the thirties, man. Like this Iowa State defense has not been tested yet. Uh, I just watching that Iowa Iowa State game just made me so mad because uh, I was just offense in general sets the game back a hundred years it's and the fact that brian ference is, is still the head or head coach so the oc there is a joke i mean i was offense is so bad it's so generic everything they do is so freaking generic <laughs> it's like god like oh we we're, we have a, a a tight end lined up uh, on the line with no receivers on that side oh i wonder what he's gonna do oh an out route or a fade route what a shocker Oh, like what a what a what a smart route! Like, and the thing is, like, it works sometimes. Uh, so, anyways, I know this is not an Iowa bash Iowa podcast, but uh, the point being is that Iowa's offense is terrible, Ohio's offense wasn't anything special, and Oklahoma State's a bad football team. And so, Iowa State going against Oklahoma, uh, what we think Oklahoma can be, this is a spot where man, it'd be nice if Oklahoma can turn this into one of those games, like you mentioned, all the way back at the start of the podcast, where they dominate. And SP Plus loves it because uh, this is what this team is supposed to do against a team like Iowa State. 
Lee, I don't know. I don't know about you, but 34 to nothing sounds pretty good to me. It's kind of what I'm... Here's the thing, yeah, here's the thing, though, Grant. It ain't going to happen, though, man. It ain't going to happen. You know why? I, these guys are going to be, I, as much as I hate to admit it, there's going to be enough players in the locker room that are going to be looking ahead to Texas. This is a classic look-ahead spot, even though You're it's right. a night game. It's a bad football team. They're going to see this team's bad on tape. And I know Brent Venables has done a really nice job this year of keeping them focused. I did like, and he said this before, but it, it actually starts to matter a little bit more when you see Oklahoma playing good football. He talked about, it goes on and on and on about how, man, you know what? These players get bored. They get bored because it's, the routine is boring. You do the same thing over and over and over again, and then you get distracted. And when good football teams get distracted because they can't put up with the boredom, of the monotony of the day in and day out preparing, that's when teams start to play play bad and lose. And he's exactly right about that. It's boring. You got to go to practice. You got to do the little things. You got to pay attention to detail. And you got to do a lot of things you don't want to do. But that's life. And I like that Brent Venables talks about it. And he's right. The best football teams do these things over and over and over again because you have to. And who's to say that this week, maybe they won't watch as much film because they're going to see how bad Iowa State looks. And you're like, nah. Like, as much as we don't want that to be a thing, these are college kids, and it's possible. And Yeah, I, no, I mean, I'm not, yeah. and I'm not counting my kit, I'm, I'm not counting my kit, my kitchens, my chickens, kitchens, Freddy kitchens. Um, I, <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all of this because in a perfect world, this, this is how it is. And if OU comes out and lays an egg, I'm going to be pretty upset about it. And like, so you, you bring up this... A Freddy chicken's egg? Sorry. Yeah. You bring up this, you know, like they're not going to watch as much film or they're not going to be as much or they're going to be as motivated because they're going to watch tape and they're going to say like, yeah, Iowa State is bad. Mine's and like I and maybe this is just like an unconscious thing. I just don't get I'm I'm a division one college football player and I'm just like I get to play a 6 p.m. game at night against a power five big 12 opponent and I see on tape that they're bad. Oh, my God. I'm so freaking excited to play this game. Yeah, same, same. It's uh, defensively, I, like how especially seeing Beck throw it around. You're in Oklahoma secondary, and you know they can't run the ball. Oh my gosh! Like you're you're uh, Peyton Bowen, Billy Bowman, uh, Key Lauren, like Woody, Woody, Ginger. I mean, all those guys got to be thinking. I want to get two picks on Saturday night. I want to just be ball hawking, man. This guy will stare people down. Like watch their tendencies on tape, see what they want to do, have some fun and fly around, and let your teammates help you out too. I'm with you, but for whatever reason, it's not everybody is like that, apparently. It's and it's likely, I mean, there's likely only going to be a max of like three receivers out for routes at a given time. They're going to keep guys in to pass block because they're not, they're, their offensive line is dreadful and they're not going to be able to hold up against OU's pressure. Just not going to be able to. Beck's going to be running for his life if they don't do that. I mean, yeah, there's going to be so many opportunities here. They're going to be in second and third and long a large part, large portion of the game, especially if they actually try to run the ball. I mean, it's if if OU comes out and they and they look like kind of kind of like the OU of yesteryear or OU of the last like decade, where it's just like yeah, they're going up against a bad bad offense, and then oh, we look up all of a sudden, it's like man, they're moving the chains. First down here, twelve yards here. I got a picked up a seventeen yard there. Oh sweet, they stuffed them on first and second down. It's third and twelve. Crap, a twenty five yard pass on third and twelve. Like that's you know, that's gonna piss me off. This Iowa, this this is the worst Iowa State's offense has been that I've seen since Iowa State has been a thing really over the last six or it seven. Been years. Wor- it, it may have been worse last year. 
Maybe worse. I mean, Hunt Decker's playing. It's, I mean, it's I mean, similar. They're, they're similar. At least, I mean, last year they had, they had Xavier Hutchinson, at least. Yeah. But I'm. So yeah, that's, that's what that's, I'm saying. Yeah. Like, this is, you're right. It may happen, and I, like, I'd, I'd like to keep our guard up and stuff like that. But hey, man, Team 128 should beat this team by three to four touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. And I'm dead serious about that. This, this Iowa State team is not good, it's a bad team. Right now, as we record on Wednesday evening, OU was a 20-point favorite. I think that's actually gone down. I think they were, it was like t- above that. So I don't know if some money's come in on Iowa State or what. Am I, am I crazy to think that? Or maybe, maybe it was around 19 or 20. So maybe it has gone up. Who cares? Uh, yeah. All right. So real quick, before we move on to the Big 12 and our pick segment, I do want to comment on the West of Everest Facebook page. There's a couple of you that have commented since our last show, and now I'm like remembering it, so I'll bring it up. And, and one of which is a, is a longtime listener, Hunter. And I, I may have asked, I, I think it might have been Hunter, where I, I may have asked him to clarify some of his comments from after the game. And so whether I did or did not, uh, Hunter did put a, a longer you know, comment in, just kind of with some thoughts about the offense. And so Hunter says, hate to tell y'all, I think there's a reason Barnes isn't playing. Javante Barnes. At this point, Walker has been better than Javante Barnes, and Major has done some things I haven't seen Barnes do. Sawchuck can still get going. I just think he needs time to get his legs back. I agree, though, that we need to just scrap the tight ends and go four wide. He also adds, Hunter adds, Grant nailed it. DG hit some mid-range shots. Also, Cincinnati is one of the best fronts Oklahoma's going to face. Offensive line played mostly well against them, and running game made some plays similar to what they were doing against lesser fronts. That just makes me feel like they showed improvement. Okay, that's right. So Hunter said that he thought the offense showed some improvement. We asked in the podcast, hey, uh, maybe get some more specifics. There were his specifics. So uh, thank you, Hunter, for that. And, yeah, I mean, something's going on with Javante Barnes. It doesn't make any sense considering, again, allegedly he was injured all last year with a foot. He was supposedly now healthy now, fully, fully healthy, and he looks worse. I, I mean, or granted, to me, honestly, he looks the same. I, I always kind of thought he looked – uh, kind of mechanical. Um, he looks uh, worse. Not particularly this year. fast. He looks worse. Okay, and you're always so. Whether he's worse or the same, it's not good. Whereas, like I, I could acknowledge like some of the stuff that you saw last year, but like I was also seeing kind of like a little bit of a spark and some juice there. I don't see any juice at all this year. Well, they got to get him going, and maybe it's an injury thing again. Maybe he's one of those guys that's always hurt. Maybe Gavin Sawchuk's just always hurt, and it's just when they want to pull your hair out. Uh, one more, yeah, okay, no, one more comment on the West Everest Facebook page that I saw come in after our show that, you know what, not everybody can be, uh, you know, pleased by our recommendations, but Micah decided to try Skyline while he was there, and Micah says that Skyline was terrible. You know what, that's your opinion, that's your right to think that. I will say that when we were there, we were talking to the, the, the server at Skyline that, Skyline that was there to help us out. I think one of the things she did say was that, yep, uh, either you love this stuff or you hate this stuff. So, or at least somebody said that to us when we were there. And uh, clearly Micah's in the hate this stuff category, which, you know what, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I love it, though. I think it's great. And, in fact, I'm actually disappointed that we didn't go back a second time, but that's okay. Maybe we'll have to order some, uh, get some shipped to us again. Because, honestly, it, it tasted kind of the same. It tasted shipped. It tasted pretty much the same as it did uh, fresh there in-house all right so go to the big 12 we'll start with cincinnati at byu that's a friday night kickoff and uh 9 15 and this this line grant is fishy to me 
it's fishy. B- uh, Cincinnati's favored by two on the road. Uh, BYU, I know, just coming off a loss to Kansas, but BYU's at home, and they've been, you know, they're frisky. They beat Arkansas a couple weeks ago. Bad offense, I guess maybe a decent defense. Still gave up points to Kansas, but kind of a fishy line, or am I crazy? Yeah, it's a little fishy, a little weird. Um, I think that shows you what Vegas actually thinks about BYU, though. Yeah, just to repeat, Cincinnati by two. Uh, and Cincinnati and, and Vegas is thinking Vegas is thinking that they got Cincinnati pegged perfectly because they essentially set the line perfectly for OU Cincinnati last week. Even though I thought my I, Oklahoma's clearly a lot better than Cincinnati, they, just, they left a lot on the field. Um, could have could have that that game could have been much uglier than it turned out being. Um, but yeah, I I mean I get I guess like I'm pretty sure it opened at BYU as the favorite and it's it's shifted to Cincinnati. Before we left Cincinnati, I I put money on Cincinnati money line in this and they were the underdog when I did it. Hmm, okay. Well, good and bet. So for maybe you there. that's a lot of people who just kind of have the same thought process I do. Um I was I was impressed by like I I think Cincinnati's secondary is is dog water to be honest with you i don't think they're really any good i think i think their their front their defensive line is legitimately really good um those two guys in the middle corleone and briggs are are very legit very legit and um i still think byu has just been kind of kind of iffy on the offensive side of the ball this year and uh I, I think uh, I, I think since he has some decent pieces on the offensive side of the ball, I think Emory Jones is, is, is who he is, but his legs are going to get them out of some situations that, um, you know, that they're going to be in this year. And, and I also think I, I think a couple of their receivers are pretty decent. And, and the Kiner guy, when he gets into space, is, is a good player. So I, I just I haven't been very impressed with what I've seen of BYU this year. They just... They they won that Arkansas game with with kind of with with smoke and mirrors, and I thought you know they they did a pretty good job of playing play by play with with Kansas and everything. But there's just something about them that is just, ugh, they're kind of they're kind of begging to be just absolutely smoked in a game here pretty soon. Big Twelve game of the week is Kansas at Texas. We'll talk about that in our picks. Uh, this is kind of interesting houston at texas tech texas tech's laying eight at home and uh this is a classic i mean texas tech's in desperation mode uh big time uh, they're one in three just lost to west virginia i was all over texas tech last weekend as like a, a, a game where i thought easy they're going to go into morgantown and i think cover like five it was like five or five and a half they get, they get beaten outright uh I, this texas tech team might not be very good uh i don't I don't have any sort of feel for this game. I'd probably take Tyler tech. Shuck is out now too. Shuck's out. Okay. That's yeah. seven to eight weeks. So until the last couple weeks of the season, if you know, best case scenario for them. So this could be, uh, this could be a big game for my, my, my Cougs, man. I Houston over four and a half wins, baby. Here we go. This is, this is, this is a big one. You know, preseason. This was a definitely a loss, but Hey, maybe Houston could steal one here. Probably not. Texas Tech is a perfect example of of those analytical models are are right about them. The analytical models models said that they were very lucky to be eight and five a season ago. Very very lucky, and um, a lot of the models this year kind of priced in a lot of regression, where they could even be technically a better team but still have a worse record. 
And here, there you go. There you go. It's, it's, and like, Texas Tech wasn't that good last year. It was, I, I keep it's, <laughs> OU losing that game in Lubbock in the last week of the year was kind of unforgivable. They, that should not have happened. That was not a very good team that they lost to. Agree. Uh, next game in the Big 12. And we're, we're living in a world in which UCF is a double-digit favorite at home against Baylor. <laughs> UCF is favored by 11 and a half. And uh, the UCF K-State game was, was actually one of the games where I, I had it nailed last week. I was pretty much I was all over K-State, even though it was like four, four and a half. I was like, I'm pretty coming off that crazy loss to Missouri. I, I kind of like the spot for Kansas State against UCF. Kansas State wins by double digits. Now Baylor comes in at one and three UCF. I mean, that's a big old number. And it makes you think like Baylor just got just destroyed by Texas. You think, OK, bounce back spot for Baylor. I'd probably lean to actually grabbing the points with Baylor there just because of the way things went last week and they're in desperation mode as well. But what a interesting situation. UCF at three and one. I mean, UCF's a good – I guess they're a good football team. Yeah. I, I, I lean – I to watch them play much, but – I lean Baylor here just because I, I – I watched a pretty decent chunk of that – the Baylor-Texas game last week. Baylor's dreadful. They're just – my See, but, I mean, gosh. they pushed they pushed Utah though a couple weeks ago. It's just very I don't think Utah's like I mean, Utah's dreadful on the offensive side of the ball. Good on defense, yeah. Um, so interesting. But there. I don't and know. Finally, I, 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 I get the line. I get the line. But that's I, I'm still just not sure on that yet. Yeah. But I but I I think I'm I'm fairly sure that Baylor is is just absolute trash. Then you got the surprise team of the Big 12 so far. Uh, I don't know if UCF qualifies, but certainly West Virginia at 3-1 and one qualifies. Uh, going to TCU, TCU favored by 12. And the Horned Frogs taking care of business against SMU last week. And you know, only lost so far as the Colorado in a game where they were favored by three touchdowns, where TCU was favored. And uh, seemingly, maybe TCU is kind of right of the ship a bit because uh, SMU, I mean, we know they got a, a decent defense. And to, offensively, I mean, based on the scoreboard, they had more success than Oklahoma did. Uh, I didn't see that game, so I don't know if, if that actually played out through the eye test. But uh, TCU, uh, though laying 12 against West Virginia, who's got a really good defense, apparently. I think I'd grab the 12 points with the Mountaineers there. That is also what I'm thinking. But then that makes you question, ah, well, I mean, 12 points based off of my perception of these teams seems like too much. And so maybe is that a situation where you got to go with your betting principles and maybe this is a three touchdown TCU win that's just waiting to happen and thinking a little yeah, bit it's already, too it's hard moved about it. too. It's 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 12 and a half now. So yeah, some money is coming in on TCU. So that that might be a trap. This game might be a trap line for sure. Let's go to our pick segment and uh, last week I was 3 and 2 and Grant you uh, had a tough one. You were 1 and 4. Uh, on the season I'm 11 and 9, so just couple games above 500 and you're uh you need a big week here to get back to 500 you're eight and 12 overall not easy right i mean i don't know how you can be a professional gambler i don't know how these people do it it's it's got to be like it's all about unit allotment like the games that you really like that you know you're going to get or you're you have to bet like those a ton because if you're somebody that's just betting a bunch of games like there's no way you can make any money because there's no way you're going to go better than on a good day you're not going to get over a season like, what do we always say? Like, gamblers try to get 55%, and that's like your elite. With the VIG and everything, like, you're not going to make a whole lot of money. I don't know how people do it, but. Yeah, I don't know. Huh, it's tough. 
All right, so we will uh, go to Friday night for our first game. Number 10, Utah, at number 19, Oregon State. And you know what? When I put this rundown in, it was Oregon State minus 3.5. Let me go ahead and double-check and see if it's changed. But uh, I hate that hook. That hook is horrible. And you know what? It's gone down to Oregon State minus 3. So some some people have come in on Utah plus a 3. Actually, now that I think about it, like, Utah plus three and a half would have been kind of fun. I kind of like that. Oregon State, though, they just kind of got run by Washington, uh, Washington State coming home. Now that I'm only going to give up a field goal, not a field goal in the hook, I think that I'm going to take the Beavers here, Grant, bouncing back from the loss to Wazoo. Oh, I'm all on the Beavers here. Um, I actually I put my money where my mouth was on this one. I, I bet this game on Sunday before I left Cincinnati. Uh, I'm I'm trying to see what I got it at, but I I just I took the Oregon State money line. Well, okay, well that would have been minus money, likely. Um, well, that's why sure I don't think it was. I think Oregon State was the underdog at the time. Oh, really? No, okay, no, okay. I'm sorry. I took um, I took the spread. I I I took I, I got Oregon State at one and a half. I took them to cover. Okay, so you got a better number then, minus one and a half. So, there you go. So yeah, you got a you had a good number there. Good 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 job by you. Uh, we're both on Oregon State minus three. And yeah, I got I got Cincinnati at plus one twenty to beat BYU. Okay, now they're favored by two. Not bad. See, that's the the upside of being able to do this stuff immediately before the lines start to move, especially in college football. The lines move a lot more in college football than they do in the NFL. And when you're on the right side of the number. Uh, granted, one of those was money line, so but it's just the odds thing. I mean, you got you got a one and a half points on Oregon State. So when Oregon State, you know, wins the game by three or heck by two, you win. You 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 cash instead of push. It's great. Whenever you understand it and you follow betting a lot more, like we've been doing this now, we're a little older. I remember when I first started paying attention to this stuff back in college and stuff. When when sharps and like people on the radio and stuff would talk about half points and like one point, I would always think, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. It's a half a point. Then you learn over time, and and enough bets go against you by a half a point. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, it does actually matter quite a bit. So good job by you. Next game, number eight USC is on the road at Colorado. USC is laying twenty one and a half. Uh, obviously, Colorado just was embarrassed by Oregon on the road uh man it's USC played a tight one with Arizona State I, I mean I don't know if there's a look ahead factor to Colorado maybe but Colorado shorthanded still Travis Hunter's not going to play he's still out but by far the best offense USC will have seen so far this year even without Travis Hunter uh but man Colorado's I mean granted Oregon's defense is really good Colorado's offense was a shell of itself in that game against Oregon I mean it didn't I mean Shadur Sanders looked like a generic normal quarterback uh you'd like to think that colorado would be able to get right against a usc defense that is improved statistically uh they're they're giving up like only 5.3 yards per play only 5.3 was like an alex grinch defense i think last year they gave up like over six it was like six or 6.1 but again they haven't played anybody good offensively so man i i've been on the wrong side of colorado all year i was on tcu whiffed i was on nebraska because there was a way too big of a, a jump whiffed colorado then i i jumped on uh i jumped on colorado to cover against colorado state 
missed that. And I was on Colorado last week to cover the big number against Oregon. I'm 0 for 4 in my picks on Colorado. So it makes me just think, should I even pick this game? Can I abstain? Can I just be a conscientious objector? Just flip a coin. I, I'll just, I mean, I'll start. I, I'm, I'm going to take Colorado to cover in this game. Um, but I would not, I would not bet the line in this game either way. The thing to bet in this game is the over. That is that that's is too, the thing to bet. That's too obvious, though, right? It's too obvious. It's not, I, no, USC is going to win this game like fifty-two to thirty-one, or fifty-two to like something like that, or fifty-two to thirty-five. It's going to be something like that. I like I'm. They're going to give up points to Colorado. Sean Lewis is too good of an offensive coordinator. Alex Grinch is and and Lincoln Riley are are just are honestly are two really bad defensive coaches. Yeah, you just, I don't know if it's, it's probably too late to bet the over now, though. I mean, it's, it's opened at like 71 and a half. It's up to 73. I mean, it's gone up to 73 and a half. That's not actually that bad. Hmm. I got it. At, I got yeah. it at 72. Okay. Yeah, that's not terrible. Look at you. Just, just throwing out the bets. Uh, by the way, I'm also on Colorado mainly just because it, The de- I mean, I, mean, the bad I, I, I want them to give USC a scare. Like, I'm not. I'm like, I've, I very obviously want them to. I don't think it's likely. I think it's. It's. I think it's likely that USC probably keeps them at arm's length in the Lincoln Riley way. Score a lot of points. Give up lots of points. Win by 17. All right. Next up, we go to that big Big 12 game. Kansas at Texas. Number 24. Kansas at number three. Texas. The Longhorns laying 16 and a half at home. Man, Kansas on third down, I talked about in the opening take, Kansas's third down offense has been the best in college football. They're converting 60% on third down. And Kansas's defense is very highly ranked. They haven't played anybody, but they're very highly ranked. I don't know what to think about that. It's weird. So just based on like analytics and like stats and numbers and just how I just I don't know how you don't grab Kansas plus the points here. I mean, Texas just wallet Baylor. Um it's a, it's I would before take OU Texas. I'm gonna I'm grabbing Kansas. I will take Texas. If I was on DraftKings, I would take Texas and I would bet it up to the biggest alternate line that they offer, which would probably be 23 and a half or 24 and a half. You're like you love the alternate lines. I don't know. Is that is that paid off for you well? Because yeah, they usually I, do. Those are the ones where you're re- if you're really confident in the spread, then you can get. You're really confident in it, like, a, and I usually do it like on bigger spreads like this. You're really confident because if they, because a lot of the times if a team covers like a like a spread in the teens, they do it by a lot, usually. So like I, or at least in my, and 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 you know in my experience, I do. I, I hit I I hit the alternate lines uh, quite a bit uh, on Sunday, betting NFL games too. It's it's just one of the things if you are if if you're if you're really confident in it, and I'm very confident that Texas is going to win this game by five touchdowns. Even with the idea that they could be looking ahead to, to OU, it's a look ahead spot for Texas too. Not really. That never. That never. Like I. Whatever. Yeah. I, I think te- Texas is really good. Texas is the best team I've seen so far this year. Which I it pains me to say that, but they just are. All right, I'm on Kansas. You're on Texas. Going to the SEC now. Number thirteen LSU. Minus two and a half on the road at number 20, Ole Miss. Let me just double check to make sure that this line hasn't changed. Still two and a half. Uh, 
man, I mean, this line's probably exactly where it needs to be. I, I'm, I like LSU. I, I, I think LSU's really good. I think Ole Miss is pretty good too. I think they are. I like Ole Miss. Um, I like Ole Miss just in the. Um, oh man, this is a game. This is a gotta have it for both teams. Actually, they both have a loss. Which I, I think in a situation like that, I think going with the home team is okay. LSU's, LSU secondary is bad. Kerry Cooks is their DB coach. They, can't, they cannot defend the pass. That's a good point. They eked it out against Arkansas last week, an Arkansas team that was beaten by BYU. Um, you know, who knows if they're – again, the theme of this podcast has been look ahead. You know, who knows if they're looking ahead to Ole Miss. I don't know why they look ahead to Ole Miss. But, you know, Ole Miss coming off a loss to Bama – uh, at Bama coming home yeah I mean it's uh, yeah I'm not not too confident in LSU but I'll stick with my initial thought and go with the Tigers or go with the Rebs uh, and finally Notre Dame number 11 Notre Dame coming off that heartbreaking loss to Ohio State uh, they're on the road laying five and a half at number 17 Duke uh, man I to me it, this is a simple bounce back heartbreaking loss to Ohio State that's tough they're going on the road uh, but I, I don't know about. I mean, I know Duke's quarterback's pretty solid, but I'll go Notre Dame to bounce back after that crazy loss last week. Speaking of alternate lines, what's yeah? I'd say the highest I could get Notre Dame for in this. I don't know. I'd take it. I'd, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably try to find like a minus thirteen and a half alternate line for this one for Notre Dame. That's the thing. Yeah, you got, you got to make sure you don't go too crazy and and you know. Take take like a like a fourteen and a half, you know, where the obviously the odds will be juice, but then you're gonna have to worry about that hook. Thirteen and a half makes a lot more sense. You won by two scores. That's what I did. I did so um plus, yeah. Just for for the OU Cincinnati game, I actually I, I was on OU minus twenty and a half on the alternate line, and uh, I think uh, OU was good enough to beat that team by twenty one, and and they should have. Yeah, I did a not that anybody gives gives a crap about our bets that we placed and lost probably but i did a i was pretty confident in alabama last week but I, I i did a parlay that two of the three legs hit it was uh it was a it was a jalen milrose back and he's actually pretty like he's he's gonna want to prove that he's the best quarterback and also bama's good or better you know not as bad as people think they are and so i did like the alternate line I did like bama like nine and a half juice up a little bit because they were like a seven point favorite so you know put up a couple extra points on there I did like Milrow over his total yards passing, which he hit. And then I, I did Milrow scoring a touchdown. I should have done a passing touchdown. So I lost. So that's my boring story. Uh, it's a good one. All right. So to recap, Utah, Oregon State, we are both on the Beavers minus three. Grant got it offline at minus one and a half in Cincinnati. So good line there. We're also both on Colorado at home catching 21 and a half. And then the last three, okay, never mind. The next two, we differ. So I am on Kansas. You're on Texas. The line there, Texas, 16 and a half. I'm on LSU, minus two and a half. You are on Ole Miss at home catching the, the points. And uh, probably my least favorite pick of the week in this one is LSU. And then we are both on Notre Dame, minus five and a half. Your advice, if there's an alternate line and you're in a legal betting state, bet that up to 13 and a half and you're pretty confident Texas beats Kansas by five touchdowns. <laughs> so, being a little hyperbolic there, but I, I'm I'm pretty confident that Texas wins that game in the 24 to 28 point range. All right, well that'll do it. Um, not really sure about my plan yet for the game on Saturday. If I'm going to go or not, who knows? Uh, 
first weekend in a while where I'm kind of just around and not busy, not traveling, not doing something. So we'll see. I'm sure you're going to be doing it. Are the Gophers at home this week? You're going to do some tailgating? Yeah, they got an 11 a.m. game against Louisiana Lafayette. I'm actually on the uh, Mon Louisiana Lafayette money line in that game. So, uh, gosh, I'll probably I'll, I'll be out tailgating in the morning for sure. I'm not sure if I'll go to the game yet. That is uh, to be determined. But I'm excited for another college football Saturday. As am I. Well, enjoy your Saturday. Everyone out there listening, enjoy your Saturday as well. If you're going to the game, have a good time. If not, watching on TV, enjoy it as well. Grant and I will be back. Uh, I suppose we'll probably be recording this one. I guess if I don't go to the game and I just stay home and watch, then we can probably do a podcast after the game's over with. Uh, if I go out, though, we'll, we'll do it Sunday morning like we did last week. Or no, I guess we did a couple weeks ago. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Nib high football rules. Indeed, it certainly does. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.